Ozone. Welcome to the Ozone Podcast, featuring Jaguars.com senior writer John Osher and Jaguars executive producer Dave DeCandis. We are joined this week by the Jaguars broadcast team. It's Frank Frangi, Tony Bastelli, Jeff Lagerman. You know what? For Jaguars fans, those guys need no introduction, so we'll get right to it. Frank, first question for you out of the box. I'm going to ask Tony how he's feeling in a little bit, but I want to know from you, what do you think, or do we know the setup this year in terms of broadcasting these games? Yeah, I, I think I mean we, it's a work in progress, John. It's been fluid. We even even this morning we've talked about it. I think home games will be the way they've been. We're going to probably spread out our booth a little bit more, so we're socially distanced. But we'll be in our booth, and it'll be the three of us, and it'll be a producer and an engineer, Joe and Cush, which we've always done. So I don't think home games will look and feel any different from the way we do it, and hopefully the way people hear it. The road game we're going to operate it looks like out of this out of the stadium, John. We're probably going to be in the network TV booth, with this, which is a very big booth, which gives us, again, a chance to spread out a lot of television monitors. That's kind of what the baseball guys are doing. They're all going either from their home stadium. I've talked to now 23 of the, 30, or the other 31 uh, teams, the play-by-play guys, and I think most are going from home. Very few are traveling. Mark Vandermeer from Houston is going to travel, going to fly himself. Mike Keith might. But around the league, I think most are doing it remotely. So home will sound the same. Well, the, hopefully all sound the same. Home will be the same for us as we set it up. The road will, will still be in the stadium in a network booth spread out, but we'll be doing the games, watching a monitor and uh, doing them from home. And, Jeff, I guess this is just a case where you, you play the hand that's dealt in this situation. <laughs> what else are you going to do? Sure. sure. <laughs> you know, it, it kind of is what it is, and – uh, going all the way back when uh, we first uh, were kind of getting an understanding of how this, this virus had impacted everybody, we were sitting there thinking to ourselves, and I said this, on, I think, one of our radio broadcasts back in, in April, May, I said, well, if, if I'm in charge of, of football, I'm not taking any unnecessary personnel now on road trips. I mean, you just, you just can't risk it. You got to create the as tight of a bubble as you can for the players and the staff to be able to have the games go on and why would you risk having Baselli, uh on the airplane to give everybody else a virus or me or Frank or Joe or Coach? Well, I mean, it's just I'm totally immune. unnecessary. I'm immune, Jeff. Well, I don't you know if you know be. that. I mean, they no, really I've been that. tested. Yes, I've been tested multiple times. It's, it's interesting. I'm, I, I have superpowers that, now. <laughs> that they, uh, <laughs> you know, we're, you know, and here's the thing. Everybody's trying to get an understanding of, what the landscape is going to be. And because right now, a lot of the questions that we have, we don't have the answers. You know, what Tony's talking about, I mean, unless he goes and, and gets tested and still has, you know, proof of the antibodies in him, you know, is he truly safe around other people? I mean, you know, so all this stuff we're still finding out, but, you know, like you said, Johnny, it is what it is. And, you know, we're, we're kind of just waiting on what we are being told, what we can and can't do. And then we'll just adjust. I mean, we can still have a great broadcast and, and still entertain people with the uh, radio call of the game, even if we're in Jacksonville. It's not going to be as easy, uh, but we're going to do the best we can and make it entertaining. And, Tony, I think most people listening know that you obviously went through this at the very beginning of all this. Uh, thoughts on, you know, I guess the necessity of this, you were up close to it, so you understand exactly why all these things are in place. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, you got to be smart. I mean, here's the good news. I mean, Jeff's right. We're still learning a lot, but we know so much more than we did back when I had it. I mean, back when I had it, the fear was you get it, you're going to die. And I mean, even at the in the ICU at the hospital, some of the best doctors in the country, you know, that were in pulmonologists were looking at me like, we, we don't really know where this is going to go and what this virus is going to do. We're much further along. They have better treatments now. I think we're getting close to a vaccine. Um, you look at the overall, it's still very infectious and people can get it. But if you look at the data, you know, people that are playing football, these professional football players at that age, really super, super, super low risk of anything serious happening. It can happen, but it's very low. Um, and so that's the good news. We know more. With that said, you still have to be smart um, because from a competitive standpoint, you know, because if guys do get it, that means they can't play. Um, and so you have to be able to feel the team and have, you know, and, and, and go back to business of football. And then on the other side, you do have to worry about the health of these coaches. I mean, <laughs> we've been around these coaches. Sure. Some <laughs> of them are older and some of them aren't the most healthy guys in the whole world. Uh, and so you got to be, you got to be careful. You got to be smart because that the last thing we want somebody who does have some underlying health issues and is an older individual um, that's coaching in the NFL uh, to be exposed to the virus and get it because it could go really bad really quickly for those individuals. So I think the NFL has done a great job. I really do. Um, you know, Pete Prisco and I've talked about it on the Monday night show for the Jaguars um, that if you look back, it, you know, in, of all the professional uh, sports league, the NFL had it, but it's the most difficult one to manage number of players, the contact, all those things that go on. Um, Two, if you look at it, the way the, uh, the PA and the league handled it really well. I mean, tough negotiations, big economic issues, testing, safety, all those things. You compare that to what baseball went through. I mean, these guys look like rock stars. And so I take my hat off, and then you look at what the owners have invested to making sure these players can be safe. You know, testing protocols, uh, social distancing within the, the facilities, figuring out weight rooms, money, all the logistics, really going um, to the utmost length of making sure we can play football. So I think the NFL has done a great job. Um, with that said, we have a lot of hills to climb still um, because right now these teams are isolated. It's only them in camp. You know, I think you now expose it uh, to more risk when you start traveling, going to other stadiums. Um, and then the whole, I'll go back to the competitive landscape. You know, how do we handle if we have a bunch of false uh, positives like we did this past week with the lab in New Jersey the night before a game? You know, how does that work for a team? What do you do? So uh, it's going to be interesting. I'm hoping we get through it because, like Jeff said, uh, it'll be fun to call games and watch some football. I'll be sad that we're not there. I mean, one of my favorite things about calling games, whether it's for the Jaguars or on Thursday night at Westwood One, is getting on the field before the game, talking to players and coaches and getting insight. So we won't have that side of it, um, but we'll still, I think, be able to give some good insight of what's happening on the field. I'm going to go around the horn on this one, but I'll start with Frank because – he has his own radio shows, everybody knows, and he follows all sports, maybe a little more than the rest of us. Frank, don't you get the idea watching the other sports and watching the NFL? I have such a much better feeling that they're going to pull this off than I did two or three months ago. I do, John. I said all along, baseball would be the guinea pig. Baseball would be the template. Baseball's not in a bubble. Baseball's played outside in big stadiums on grass. And so for in our country, yeah, the MLS too, but even they were in a bubble, all right? Baseball was going to be the most like football and baseball was going to screw up. And so let the baseball folks screw up. And they did let the, let the Marlins and the Cardinals mess up. And we see how drastic it is when they do. Um, but yeah, I think we're, I think they, I think the belief is Johnny, they got to move forward. 
They've got to find a way to move forward. And I think they will. I agree with what Tony said, too. I think the NFL has been all over this thing. They always are. They pulled off the draft without a hitch. They pulled off before that free agency without a hitch. They never wavered. They said, we're going to play our 16 games. They may waver about how many people are going to watch. And so I think, I think the NFL has been all over this. But I agree with what you said. We've got to, we got to move on. And I think we found a way to move on. Baseball was sort of the template for it. I, I, I would be shocked. if so. That doesn't mean a football team couldn't have an outbreak and miss a week. I think that could happen, college or pro. But I'd be surprised if we don't finish the season in some capacity. I totally agree with that. You know, look, uh, the NFL and NFLPA, they've all done a great job. But the reality is the NFL had the most time to prepare of any sports. Right. You know, so uh, they didn't have to do anything and, and all the way until they got to the point where, okay, we need to start reporting to camp. You know, so they had the most time to prepare. They had time to learn from the mistakes of uh, the other sports leagues. And, uh, and here's the reality. The NFL hasn't played a game yet. You know, so let's, uh, let's not jump on their bandwagon and pat everybody on the back because, you know, the reality is, is that even if you do it perfectly, there's still a risk that certain things end up coming up that's going to interrupt the game. And so, so until we get to where the games are actually played and things of that nature, you know, you got to kind of hold off judgment because the reality is this is something we ain't ever dealt with uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a league, right? I mean, I think what the, right. the NFL and sports leagues had to deal with a, a pandemic years and years ago, but I mean, we're not talking about the sport leagues of today, you know, so this is a different landscape and, uh, and hopefully it does go off without a hitch and players are smart. Uh, but we all know that when you're, you know, you're, you're a young man in your early twenties, you know, all of a sudden, once you get out of training camp and out of that team hotel and the bubble kind of opens up a little bit, it's a little different. Yeah. We're going to get to the Jags in a minute. But I want to talk to Tony and Jeff about what you just said, Jeff. I get the idea that there's maybe a disconnect between fans and the reality of players. Fans sort of assume that players aren't going to take this seriously. Um, as former players, I sort of get the idea that players are going to be diligent about it. And, it, and maybe I'm naive, but uh, what do you guys think? You guys played, you were young, you're both relatively older players at times. How do you think players are going to approach this, and what's your confidence in how they're going to approach it? Well, John, I think I think this has been such a serious issue that I think there's a lot of awareness, and most people are taking it serious today. Um, and and so I would hope, and I do believe that the majority, the vast majority of guys, will take this seriously. And I think I would have, even as a young man, knowing that because um, now you're talking about you know me playing football and me getting paid. I mean, it's my livelihood. I mean, I remember sure. it's so funny. I talked to my wife about this and, the, and, and, you know, I was having young kids back then when, and I said, what would we have done? I mean, having young kids at home and everything else like that, um, would I have opted out? You know, you know, what would you, how would you handle it? And she looked at me, she says, you're not opting out. You can stay in a hotel for six months and take care of you. I mean, this is your job. Right. I mean, this is what you're supposed to do. Like go to work. And I, and I say that, you know, a little tongue in cheek, but I, but there is, I, I sense, and, and I haven't been around the team, obviously, because we can't, but I get a sense of just reading and watching, and, and this is the entire NFL, that guys are taking this serious, and they know they have to be smart, and if they're not, they're not only going to risk their own health, but they're going to risk the viability of another 53 to 55 guys of getting paid to do a job and to play football, that this is bigger than just them. So I think they'll do it, but I also know for a fact there's going to be one or two knuckleheads out there that are going to go do something <laughs> stupid. I mean, that's just going to happen. 
<laughs> that's going to happen. You know, Johnny, that's kind of what uh, would be my concern is that, you know, you can have, you know, 95, 99% of the guys all do it the right way. And then you have one that doesn't, and then it kind of messes it up for everybody else. You know, so, I mean, heck, we saw the Seattle Seahawks young player that tried to sneak a girl into the hotel. I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> so, I mean, there's always going to be a guy or a couple guys that just – that uh, they don't have a clue. They're not very mature. They don't understand the gravity of the situation or the magnitude of the situation. And certainly they don't understand the economics that are at play in this whole situation. So, you know, you hope uh, that they all take it seriously. And, uh, and I think most of them do. Uh, so we'll just see if there's that one or two guys that mess it up for the rest. We'll go to Frank first on this one. And then Jeff, Frank, you've been out of camp most days, big impression so far, nothing COVID related on the field. Uh, Biggest impression of the Jaguars after a couple of weeks? Uh, I think they're going to be fun. I, I, I really like the receiving core. It looks like, look, for 25 years, there was Jimmy and Keenan out of the gate, and then there really hasn't been a very good receiving core across the board. I like these three guys. So, yes, something that jumped off the page for me, John. I, I think it's going to be Chenault and Shark and Westbrook when he's healthy in the slot. I like that group. I think they're going to be fun. We'll see. They haven't always been a fun team. Even when they've been good, other than Jeff and Tony's early years, they haven't been fun. The Jack Del Rio playoff team was a tough physical team with Henderson and, and Stroud and Mike Peake, but they weren't a fun team. The 17 team was fun because of defense, but they weren't going up and down the field. I think this team will throw it around a little bit, so I think that that's caught my attention. The other thing, John, is I worry about the defensive front. They've lost nine guys. Nine, if you count in Gakwe's holding out, guys that either opted out, got hurt, can't play because of health reasons, nine. That's a lot of guys that they thought would be in the rotation. Now they've replaced them with Jernigan and some other guys. But that's a big number. The biggest problem this team had last year is they couldn't stop the run, and I hope they can now. So I love watching the receivers work. I hope Minshew's as good as everybody hopes he'll be, because if he is, it's going to be a fun offense. I worry about him stopping the run, and, and that's kind of been – and I can't, I'm not smart enough to tell that by watching practice, but I know what the roster looks like. I hope Devon Hamilton's ready, because he's a big physical cat, man. Uh, I hope Shover can help in the run defense. So. That's kind of a good and a bad from how I see it. Jeff, your thoughts on the defense first. <laughs> well, I, I, I kind of was chuckling there because Frank used the word hope. You know, yeah. there's, there's a lot of yeah. I hopes in there. And, and I think that's the reality that is in play for the Jaguars this year. You know, you hope that they can be competitive. You hope that they can improve throughout the season to be something because specifically you asked about the defensive side of the ball. They lost so many key components. The, you lost your two starting corners from last year, guys up front. Uh, the linebacking core didn't play very well last year. And now you're looking at some of these gaping holes because of an opt-out, because of a forced retirement, medical concern with Rodney Gunter, uh, Josh Morrow looking at a five-game suspension, who a guy that might have been in play for having some snaps at defensive end. Uh, you got a rookie corner on one side, Trey Herndon on the other, who still is, you know, kind of an unproven commodity. Uh, the play of the safeties have been just kind of okay. Okay, Schobert's coming in. I like him. But at the same token, I don't think he had a great year last year. And uh, and now Miles Jack is switching positions, which you hope, you know, there's that word again, hope, you know, that he's going to be more comfortable at the weak side position. So there's so many questions on defense. 
And I, there's not as many on offense, but there's still questions on offense. I mean, is Minshew capable of being a, a, a starting caliber quarterback? You know, last year he showed some flashes and he did have a, an amazingly successful rookie year, but he's got limitations physically with the height, the vision, um, the arm strength, I think, is in question. Last year at times he left the pocket when he didn't have to leave the pocket, but he did do some incredible things when when the play broke down. So uh, a lot of questions, and, and I'm hopeful, to use that word, I'm hopeful that they can be a competitive football team this year, but make no mistake about it. They've never used the term rebuild, but if you look at this, what they've done from the end of last year with the subtractions that they have had and the additions that they've had, this is a team and an organization that is in rebuild mode. And rebuild modes in year one typically can be tough. I'll ask Tony and Jeff this. I've been so impressed with the receivers and especially DJ Chark. Um, how much of what you see in camp on that kind of thing can translate? You know, and a Chark looks so good and the chemistry looks so good, but are we seeing it against – you know, coordinators scheme and form. How much can you trust what you're seeing now? Well, I mean, I think you can you can trust that, you know, what you see in DJ Chark more than anything because he proved it last year. I mean, it's not like it's an anomaly. I mean, the guy came out and was a stud last year and he's picking up and having a good good camp. I mean, as I watched the practice tape on the iPad, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, stands out. Like he looks like a professional receiver. I don't know how many often we could say that about guys. Um, I mean, I think it's a receiving core that is exciting, um, but still has a ton of questions to me. I mean, and I, I, I get what um, Frank is saying. It's going to be fun, but like in my history, like I don't count on rookie receivers really doing much. It's If you look historically, it's a position that doesn't – even top guys that have huge years uh, year one. I'm hoping Snell does, but I worry that if you were going to be counting on him as one of our top guys, like there's a lot of stuff you have to prove there. Um, and so I think it means something, but this, I mean, just to pick up a little bit on what Jeff said, I mean, this, if you look at this team, the losses that they had and kind of the, the path they're going, um, I'm hopeful and I hope that things work out, but you, let's just talk about the offense. We spent a lot of time on the defense, John. We're looking at an offensive line that everyone's back from last year. And I don't think anyone right now would say that, that they were a great offensive line last year. They struggled around the ball. You know, at one point when the team decided to go with uh, Gardner Minshew over Nick Foles, the head coach said one of the reasons that they chose Gardner Minshew is because he could extend plays and get out of trouble. They need they needed somebody who could avoid the rush. That's not a resounding, like, compliment as an offensive lineman, trust me. And so – but it's the same group. So we are counting on that group to have gotten better. Now, I think Cam Robinson looks good, looks strong footwork's better than I've ever seen. So those are all positives. You like the rookie tackle. I mean, so there's bits and pieces there, uh, but there are so many questions uh, across the board for this team. Um, it's going to be really interesting. And with no preseason, and I'll circle all the way back where you started. You asked about the receivers. I think it's hard to tell what you're going to get because the way they practice day in the NFL, and they only have 14 padded practices, it's limited, 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 limited. I mean, guys are getting maintenance days that are second-year players, so it's limited reps. It's limited opportunity. It? It's just it's, it, like, like I honestly, when I heard that, like Josh Allen's getting in Gardner Minshew had maintenance days, I'm like, haven't they just been here like a month? And and <laughs> Gardner Minshew's a guy who's in a brand new offense with a brand new coordinator who started ten games last year, and somehow 
we're going to give him a day off? Like when he only has limited reps and no preseason? Like I'd be giving that guy every rep like in the world. Jeff and Tony, and so those are the things that worries camp, me. Like I think training camp was four months with three a days when you guys played, right? Isn't it? <laughs> Am I recalling that right? Based on the maintenance days. <laughs> I promise you we didn't have maintenance days. <laughs> what was Coughlin's version of a maintenance day, Jeff? Uh, Man- mandatory day off you had to give that us. That was the only <laughs> maintenance day you got was when the union put the fist on the desk hard and said, you have to give the players the day off. That's about it. <laughs> it, it it's really People will never understand the difference, but it's uh, – it's amazing. It's been 10 years now, and you still don't get used to it. Hey, uh, let's go around the horn. I want to have uh, two final questions with each of you. Frank, what do you need to see from Minshew this year to make you nuts? What everybody wants to know, Jeff touched on some liabilities. What do you got to see from him? Uh, for me, number one, I, I like a lot what I see. I think he's got a good arm, not a great arm. He was very honest. He was on serious NFL or serious XM, and he said, look, I'm never going to have a plus arm by standards in this league, and I agree with that. So he's a guy that's going to have to step into it. He's going to have to have a clean pocket or a moving one. He's going to have to be able to step into his throws. Um, he can't be falling backwards and throw off his back foot because he can't make that throw. There's some guys in the league that can. Russell Wilson can make that throw, John. I don't think he can make that. So he's got to make the right choices. What I love is the ball down the field. I think he throws a really accurate deep ball when he's got a clean pocket and can kind of drop it off the table. So he's got to prove to me that he understands those limitations. I think he does. He threw 21 touchdowns, only six picks last year. But I want to see that he can win from the pocket. I want to see that they can create a pocket, right, that they can be a more conventional team. I know the game's different now. There's some RPO, and they're moving pockets more. But you still got to win an NFL game from the pocket. So I want to see that it can look more traditional, that he can be as effective in that pocket as he was out of it last year. And I'd like to see that early on. I'm excited about the kid. I really am, John. I know his limitations. But I think he's a winner. I think guys respond to him. I think you can sense that. One day I was at a practice last week, and I thought uh, Juwan Taylor jumped. And Minshew really got on him about it, but in a positive way. Gosh, a year ago, the culture in that team was such that people would be yelling at each other. Nobody yelled. He jumped. Minshew goes, come on, man. And, and, and it was over. And that's what leaders do. They lead the right way. So there's a lot I like about him. He's got to play from a clean pocket and prove he can win from the pocket for me. That's the thing. Jeff, first tell me what the arm strength means that Gardner can't do. I mean, what – I don't watch tape as much as you do. What can't he do because of the arm that concerns you? And then what do you need to see from him this year? Well, I mean, the, the windows in the National Football League are small, and so sometimes arm strength is going to open that window up a little bit more. You know, throw in and out, you know, so arm strength gives you the entire field and it makes coordinators play the entire field. Uh, not having the arm strength, what are my concerns? Well, that, that, you know, that they don't play the whole field. You know, can he see the middle of the field? Can he throw the, the, the pass like Dan Marino would throw? I mean, look, Dan Marino had an incredible arm, and not many people had an arm like him. But there are certain times where the arm strength is needed to where it's going to squeeze that ball in there. You know, but, but on the other side of that, Johnny, there's been a lot of great quarterbacks in the National Football League that have lived without arm strength. And, they've been able to make up the lack of arm strength with the mental cootie, you know, whether it been a Joe Montana who had a very, very average arm. And then you go all the way to maybe one of the worst arms in the national football league, which was Chad Pennington. Now, we used to joke around that we used to call him lollipop arm. I mean, he couldn't throw a, a, a pass 
that was anywhere close to parallel to the ground. I mean, it, it looked like a roller coaster, that big giant hill, you know? So can Gardner Minshew do that? Absolutely, he can do that. But uh, it's going to take a lot of the, the mental anticipation, the understanding of defense and things of that nature to where he's throwing way on time and way before time. And hopefully we can see some of that and he can develop that. Tony, you see more quarterbacks up close than any of us because of your Westwood one role. Uh, what do you think of his chances compared to the rest of the league's quarterbacks? Is he a guy that can do this? Um, it's a great question, John. I, I'll be honest, I'm going to ride the fence. I think it's too early. Like the sample size is too small. I agree with everything that you know Jeff and uh, Frank said. Um, you can find uh, you can find outliers. You can find guys that are similar that have had great um, careers, but they have they do something special that no one else did. I mean, you could argue that Drew Brees, post rotator cuff, never had the strongest arm. He's similar size, but Drew Brees is one of the greatest pocket little guy quarterbacks who sees things and anticipates things when he doesn't even see him going across the middle because he knows right where everyone's going to be. I mean, he is uncanny. Um, and so I think you to be really good, you have to either have like really good over the top of like a bunch of things or you have to be super special at something. And the question is, is what is that thing that Gardner is super special at? I don't know yet. Um, he's a great competitor. I loved, loved what he did last year as a rookie. Um, how he came in and just competed day in and day out. But let's also not forget, he led an offense that scored 21 points over seven games in the first half. They were abysmal. Um, and so that worries me. Uh, and, and so you look at the whole thing. And the question I always ask, and I think this is the question every franchise has to ask themselves about that position. Is this a guy who will help me hold up the Lombardi trophy? And if he's not, then you got to go find that guy. Um, and right now, would I bet everything that Garner's done that guy? I don't know how much money I'd put down on that bet. Um, but I'm interested to see. I'm not saying he can't be because he has some special, he has some interesting uh, things that I'm intrigued with. But um, as I think about last year and is what I want to see, and I've watched a little bit on tape, he throws a beautiful long ball. Yeah. It's gorgeous. It's accurate. But then times I watch like the easy throws that they're just supposed to be in rhythm across the middle or the out. I'm like, was the receiver at the wrong level or did he just miss that bad? Um, if his feet aren't set perfectly where everything's clean, can he drive and make the hard throw? Um, you know, can he do it on time? I think one of the things, what made him special last year is it was the off-schedule play. How, how often did he sit in the pocket, hit his fifth step, take the one hitch and drive the ball where it was supposed to go? Not a lot of times. There was a lot of off-schedule, like fun things to call. And so – I think you have to do those things, and then the off-schedule things become the extra. Um, I'm intrigued. Um, I think the offense lines, you have to play well. They need to keep it clean back there for them. I think they have to have a running game. I, I'm watching the tape. Some practices, it looks like we got it. Some don't. That's camp. That can happen. Um, so those are all things that go into it. To me right now, looking around the league, I just don't know. There's things he does I, I really like, and other times I'm watching, I'm like, huh. Is that a guy that's going to help this organization hold up the Lombardi Trophy? And I just don't know yet. Yeah, John, Johnny, can I jump in here real quick? I, just, yep. I want to make one yep. comment because it kind of kind of tails with what Tony's talking about right there. The one thing I think that's real hard, even for me, and it, maybe it is for Tony as well, is that you know typically this time of year we've got a couple preseason games under yep. our belt to where we're comparing 
the play of player X against other NFL caliber talent, you know, and sometimes when you continue to watch a guy and he's going against the same guys all the time, it's hard to get a gauge as to where they're at, you know? So, so I think it's a, and I think it, that that thing, that same exact thing falls for the people that are going to be making the decision on the final roster and the coaches that are going to be choosing who's going to be getting the most playing time. And that a lot of the decisions that they're going to be making, uh, whether it be for rosters or playing time or et cetera, are going to be made based on a lot of faith because they haven't seen these players against mm -hmm. other NFL caliber competition. And it makes it extremely difficult to judge a kind of where individuals are at. And also in some cases where a team is at. Very quickly, each one of you, do we finish the season and how did the Jaguars do Frank? Uh, I think we're going to play all 16 games. I think some teams could miss, but I don't think we're going to shut it down. You know, I, I, I think in the upside, I think these guys said it. It's a rebuilding year. Uh, I think it's crazy to think they're going to be a 10 or 11 win team. I also think they're going to be as lousy as the league thinks, John, and going to win three or four games. So, yeah, I think they can win six or seven games. The ball bounces right more than that. I, I, but I think it's a rebuild. It's a lot. There's not a lot of veteran elite players. Most teams that have special years, there's some veteran elite players on your roster and when you and when you rebuild, and when Boyer's gone, and Calais is gone, the next guy's gone, you don't have a lot of. There's not veteran elite players on here. There's young players who might become elite. So I think to your question, I think we're going to finish the season. I think we're going to get them all in. Uh, someone may miss a game along the way, but I don't think we're going to pull the plug. And I think the Jag, if the ball bounces right, uh, can can be a 500 team uh, in year one of what this rebuild is. These guys are talking about, and um, but I don't think they're going to be a great team yet, and I don't think they're going to be as bad as the whole league thinks they're going to be. Jeff, do we finish, and how do the Jags do? <laughs> uh, <laughs> boy, let me let me break out my uh, Johnny Carson crystal ball and put on my yep. Schwami hat here, right? Uh, yeah, I, I think that 16 will be played, and obviously I'm very hopeful with that number. As far as uh, total wins, uh, I'm probably right around five-ish. You know, and, and my, my whole thought is with five is, is how does the five look? Mm -hmm. Because five can look good and five can look bad. If, if a football team is looking like a team in rebuild mode early, early in the season, and then all of a sudden it starts playing closer football games, and then it starts winning games late in the season, you feel good about five as far as a team that's rebuilding. And then if all of a sudden some way you can find a way to get six, uh, or holy cow, seven, you'd be like ecstatic, I mean, in my book. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to, and I'm, I don't want to say I'm a realist. Uh, I just think that, boy, with all the change that this organization has, has gone through and with the environment that it's had to function in as with all this change, I think it's an incredibly challenging year. And if they can get to five or six wins, I think that uh, that's a solid season. Seven, I think, would be outstanding and an outstanding job by the coaching staff. We'll close it out with the pride of the Jaguars. Yeah, let me just be clear. Uh, you know, Frey keeps on saying those guys say rebuilding year. I don't like that terminology because that's not what we heard coming into the season. The part of the purpose was that this is a team that could compete and win. And it's hard for me, and I think the fans struggle with that, is saying – Wait, we, were, we won six games last year. How do you rebuild off that? I mean, that's the hard part where this organization is, and that's why I'm rooting so hard for them because, you know, you want success because, you know, you want it for Sean Conn, you want it for Dave and Doug, and, and we want it for the players, the fans. I mean, you want them to be, have success. Um, so with that said, um, to answer your question, 
I think we get 16 in. I'm fascinated what it looks like. And sure. because it's, I don't think it's baseball where a team can miss a week, then how do you reschedule? It's not like, hey, we're going to play a doubleheader next week, you know, and figure that out. And so, so I think you'll have a regular season and you're going to have the playoffs, you have a Super Bowl. Does every team play 15, 16 games? Who knows? It's going to be crazy. Um, and as far as what the Jaguars schedule or win record, uh, re- record is going to be, I would hate to pick games this year because what happens week, you know, week one, you know, the night before Phillip Rivers gets, you know, crying, I mean, it's like, well, I feel better about that game now. I mean, and you just kind of go down the path and you're counting on so many young players. And I said this the other day, I'm like, I could see this. Someone asked, what's the ceiling for this team? Nine, 10 wins. They're like you're crazy. I said, okay, if Gardner Minshew is who he showed as a rookie and now all of a sudden goes from 21 and 10 to 32 and 10 and Leonard Fournette runs like his life depends on it because he's in a uh, contract year, which we see all the time. And Cam Robinson plays like he's in a contract year. And Jawan Taylor takes a step up and Chark is for real. And you hit on Sinault and you Tyler Eifert stays healthy. Oh, I like this offense pretty good all of a sudden. And if Josh Allen's the record that we think he can be watching him in practice, he's dominant. And the young quarter, Miles Jack figures out, you know, to rewind the clock a few years. Well, now all of a sudden, this is a different team to me. And then you have the wild uncertainties about who's going to be playing week in and week out because of COVID and testing and everything else. I have no idea. Um, sure. If you just looked at it, of their young, it's a young team, a lot of uh, departures, you know, and holes in the defense. I mean, I think, like, people who say nationally this is a, you know, three- to five-win team, I get. Um, but in my gut, I think they find a, win six, a way to win six or seven. Here's my solution, Frank. And you guys may have played uh, different ways by this. Frank, remember we were covering high school sports and they had the spring jamboree? Love the jamboree. A quarter here, a quarter yeah, there, a quarter yeah. That's how you solve it, Frank. Go put, Get them all in a bubble and play jamboree. Look, we'll put them in a bubble in Florida. We all got a stadium. I love it. But one quarter is good. And one quarter, <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. It's called one quarter football. I'll, I'll tell you, Johnny, it's funny. Like, we talk about this, but to think how far we've come and all this and with this, I mean, the fact that thankfully we're talking about playing football at all, because, like, to your point a few months ago, and I'll say this, I was in Tallahassee last week and watched the Florida State Seminole scrimmage, and it was like a normal right. practice. Sit in the fan, and I'm like, wait a second. Like, this is actually kind of exciting. Right. It looks like, you know, people playing football, and, like, I think we can get there, and I'm hoping we do. And, again, I'll just end it with hats off to the Players Association, I think the leadership there at the union and the uh, commissioner's office and all the owners. I mean, to get, give us a chance uh, without making it a complete disaster, I think um, hopefully we'll get to play football this year. Hats off to all you guys, Tony, Jeff, Frank. I could talk football all day with you. I appreciate you joining me, and we'll see you guys very soon. Hopefully, face-to-face and shaking hands someday. All right, fellas, thanks. See you. Thank you, you Johnny. It's a busy time of year. Everybody's at practice. It's hot. So I appreciate the 30, 35 minutes that they gave us. Dave, I thought what was interesting, and I think what you can provide a lot of insight on, when Frank and Jeff were talking at the top of the podcast about what the broadcast is going to sound like and what for the people involved, such as yourself, it's going to look like take me to broadcaster school, if you will, or engineer school. What are you guys going through to get this thing set up in a virtual world? Well, I mean, it's really taken a lot of effort. Uh, myself, Joe Fortunato, who helps edit this podcast. He's also uh, sure. he's also our manager of radio. 
So he's our producer on the radio broadcast. So he's working hard on it. Jason Dean, one of our IT guys. He's also kind of a broadcast engineer. And Patrick Cavanaugh, we're all kind of throwing, throwing a lot of stuff at the wall to make this happen. But, you know, the home broadcast is going to be how it is. It's, you're not going to notice any different. The road broadcast, so we're not traveling. So we're getting a lot of different feeds from a lot of different places. So right now we're working through with the NFL about what feeds we get back, whether it's because – to call a game, you know, there's a lot more nuance, especially for those analysts like Jeff and Tony about what they see. So not being able to see the game and watching matchups and stuff, it's going to be tough for them and they're going to have to adjust. So we're working on getting feeds from those games into the stadium that we can, they can then watch. We're working through the NFL with that. Um, you know, there's some stuff still going through. And then the other thing too, is something you probably don't think about is what about the crowd mics and what about what, what's piping through there? Um, so we have to, that has to get sent to us somehow. Um, and we're working through all that. And the funny part is, is the radio booth on road games is going to move to the TV booth here in our stadium where we're like Jim Nance yeah. and Tony Romo would be if they were doing a game here, because there's a lot of connectivity in that room because they do the TV broadcast in there. So we're kind of piggybacking off that room. And we're actually this weekend, we're recording this on Friday. Uh, we're going to go through and figure out what everybody wants, how the booth's going to be set up. And, um, Joe's going to kind of go through with those guys and, and, um, and, you know, the other part of it too, which again, it's another thing that Joe's ultimate concern, you know, uh, is how we're going to see to go to commercial because we can't just watch the broadcast and go to commercials because, because other, because you don't want to, we don't want to miss a play. So you need as much time to get enough heads up that, hey, the broadcast is going to commercials. So, and normally for you, this is kind of inside football. There's a guy on the field. He usually has the big orange gloves. If you ever come to a Jags game, you see a guy waving his arms or crossing his arms with big orange gloves on. Well, he's telling the TVs and the radios doing the broadcast that, hey, we're going to commercial break. He's kind of the go between the refs and the TV truck. So, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it and not a whole lot of time to solve it. And um, luckily for us, our first road game is is week two. So it gives us a little extra week, two to figure things out. But uh, it's just kind of a little inside football. I think it's all interesting, especially in this year of it just seems like uh, I always describe it. It's like everything's like hard <laughs> and, and mm-hmm. takes time to figure out. And the other thing, too, is I've been kind of saying is in our broadcast world, it's even doing this podcast, right? It's we're doing it over Zoom. We're not doing it in a studio. It'd be a lot easier right. if you and I were both at a mic recording it. We go and edit it real quick. Now we're doing this over Zoom and it doesn't sound as good, but it's like the situation with the world is, I think with everything, it's like nothing, no situation is going to be ideal. It's how to make it as good as you can. Right. I think we talked about this uh, probably after a podcast. I don't know that we actually talked about it on the air, so to speak. But I, I recall asking you a few months ago what this world would have been like, meaning what our work would have been like, how we would have done our jobs. You talk about it not being perfect, but it's so far ahead of where we would have been 10 years ago. I mean, it's can you imagine trying to do the job, bringing fans the content? You know, you can make an argument that there are a lot of things about the NFL that when the fans watch us, the way the fans consume the information maybe hasn't changed that much, except they're looking at us in boxes rather than when Brian and Ashlyn and I are doing drive time, we're in boxes now rather than on a desk. 
But beyond that, a lot yeah. of the coverage, even the draft, minicamp, what we bring them hasn't changed. Boy, that wouldn't have been the case 10 years ago, Dave. No, it would not have been. I mean, the Skypes and the Zooms and the, you know, everything else that, that's at our disposal now makes things a lot easier. And the biggest thing is like using the best tools you can and then figure out how to implement them into what you do. It's relatively easy for you and I to get on a Zoom call or for me to get a player on a Zoom call and do an interview. But Zoom calls don't solve broadcast issues for the most part. This is a different game you guys are playing, trying to bring a game live to the fans. Yeah, it is, it is a much different issue. Um, and also there's a little bit of, you know, there's the television rights deals that, you know, the NFL has to figure out how to give us a secure, sure. um, a secure feed of the game. Um, and depending on those views, like the all 22 camera, I mean, that's for coaches and stuff. Um, and they don't want that getting out or any way right. to see that. So, you know, that's also another hurdle that you have to kind of get over, um, right. You know, a lot of it, too, is is with Frank and Jeff and Tony is they got to figure out personal preferences, what they want to see, what helps them the most, what doesn't work for them. Um, you know, it's just – and also there's no preseason to test it, test it out <laughs> either. The fans talk about preseason games for players. But probably preseason might be bigger in terms of preparing for the entire NFL infrastructure – of, of yeah. fans, broadcasts, et cetera. Players and coaches sort of know what they're going to do, and they're going to go out there in the field and do it. But a preseason for people who are running game experience for you guys, that's when you figure out the, the nuts and bolts details of it. And guess what, Dave? You're doing that live this year. No, and that's the other thing, too, is, you know, when we cover a game, when we shoot a game, we got to figure out how to do it differently because now there's – all these protocols and rules and we're going to be shooting from different spots and in the stands and, and we've never done that. And we're trying to figure that out um, kind of in theory, not in practice. And then even same with, if you take it outside of our world, I mean, we have all these new protocols for fans to come in the stadium, whether it's taking temperatures, right. a questionnaire, wearing masks, how we're paying for food. I mean, you know, there's not going to be cash in the stadium exchanging hands. So it's a new app base system we're ordering food you're not just you're not coming in you know 10 minutes before kickoff running up the ramps and sitting down in your seat anymore fans have to learn that event staff has to learn that and that's the one thing where we miss preseason this year especially how the world is different you know preseason is always the dress rehearsal because there's not as many right. people here so it's easy to try to work out those kinks so uh it'll be week one will be interesting you know again it's not going to be ideal but we'll get through it <laughs> Well, if history shows us anything, uh, especially the broadcast end of it, I can speak with confidence. It won't be perfect, but it'll be very, very good because the Jaguars broadcast team will pull it off. And uh, part of that Jaguars broadcast team, segueing to the end here, Dave, is Joe Fortunato, who, again, I want to thank for always making this sound good. Dave DeCandice for making me look better than I actually am and sound better than I actually am. Uh, for those of you who are interested in how the Jaguars broadcast get to the fans and how the Jaguars broadcasters feel about the team, I don't think this one sucked at all. We'll try better next week. Thanks for joining us.